You know, there is very little in life that is promised. Well, there is at least one thing, however, that's guaranteed, and that's that you and I are going to die. Wait, wait, don't go. I don't plan on it happening today or anytime soon. I made plans when I was a little kid to live a very long time. So just naming that reality for today, and I hope it's still far off. But today, I want to create some space for us to think about grief. And I'm going to ask you to get a couple of items to help you in just a minute. These last 23 months of global pandemic have forced us into a space in which we must think about our own grief, our own end of life. Especially large numbers of people have died in the last two years. That death rate means that many of us know someone who may have died of COVID or other causes and not been able to be grieved in a fitting way? Have you given yourself time to grieve? The loss of life and its unfairness when it could have been prevented make the loss even more terrible. The loss of black and brown lives at the much higher and disproportionate rate, that's a reality that reveals deeper racism which shapes our everyday lives. We are all impacted by that, whether we realize it or admit it. How shall we lament and grieve that devastation and the injustice of racism? Maybe death has been something you've just wanted to avoid thinking about. I get it. I understand. This week, I began teaching my death, dying, and bereavement course at Union Theological Seminary and I found myself dragging my feet as I got toward the preparations for the class. I didn't really want to do it because facing grief, let's face it, is hard. And as Pauline Boss says in her new book, and for years before her new book, grieving over ambiguous loss is even harder. What is ambiguous loss? It's the kind of loss that's not complete, yet real and painful. A loss when someone dies and their life is over and we know they're not coming back in an embodied form. Breath stops and heartbeats cease. Brain activity ends. That loss may be extremely pain painful and even complicated, but it is clear that the person has died. And we have experienced many losses just like that. And the older one gets the more losses and deaths one experiences and knows firsthand. Yet all of us have experienced so much ambiguous loss since March of 2020. I mean, make a list with me for just a moment about some of the losses you have felt. The loss of everyday routines, the loss of work, the loss with time, of time with friends and family and projects that you care about, the loss of stability, mental, emotional, financial, relational, a loss of a sense of goodness in the world, a loss about knowing in some regard what will happen in the future. These losses are real, yet they're ambiguous because they're hard to name. And we don't lose things entirely. I mean, we still had time with family. We still see our friends. And yet the moments of these past two years, 
we have not had those experiences in quite the same way. Our travel, our meaningful work, it's all felt undermined. Things are not really quite the same. So these ambiguous losses are much harder to define. They're harder to acknowledge and to grieve. So today I want to do a little exercise with you to help you with your grief. I do something similar with classes when I teach them on grief and loss, and I want to offer that exercise to you today. So I'm going to give you a minute to find an object or song or poem, maybe a piece of jewelry or anything that helps you with your grief. So I want you to go ahead, go ahead and look around your space. Ask yourself what object or music or art helps you with your grief and also get something to write with. Now that you have your object and your materials for writing, I want to share a story with you from my own grief. The object I want to share with you is a ring that belonged to my grandmother. I called her Grammy. This is the ring. She got sick and was ill with cancer the summer that I was getting married. and She was not well enough to travel, so she missed my wedding. And I was the first of her grandchildren to be born and the first to be married. So it was a big loss for her and it was a big loss for me. She died in the month after I got married and I was with her along with her children, my mom and my uncles. And I suppose it was the first death that I ever attended in person. I remember that she was wearing her watch in those final days in the hospital bed and we smiled and her attempts even unconsciously to keep control of her situation and her life. It's something we all do. We were made for life and for living and we hang on to it to the very end. After she died, my mom and her brothers distributed a number of things that belonged to my grandmother. As the oldest daughter of an oldest daughter of an oldest daughter of an oldest daughter, I was the person who received the family Bible. It has records of birth and death and it was one of my grandmother's treasured possessions. And although she wasn't much of a practicing religious person, she was a person who early in her life believed somehow God wanted her to do something important. When you grow up female and poor and living in a rural place in the 1920s, your options for doing something for God that seems important were kind of limited. She didn't become a trailblazing minister or a missionary to another part of the world. She became a very hard worker and a mother, and she cared for her own mother at times, and she tried to make stability from a family that didn't know much about stability. Her own children have lived far more stable and beautiful lives than she could have imagined or hoped for. Unfortunately, she married a very unwell man who inflicted his unwellness on everyone in his life. Through alcoholism and sexual abuse, he wrecked havoc on the stability that my grandmother was trying to create. This ring that I wear of hers was in fact not a wedding ring, although it looks like one. It was the only really nice piece of jewelry my Grammy ever 
bought for herself. It came later in her life and it has been one of those, has one of those little adjustable sizers inside because her own fingers and hands suffered from years of hard labor and arthritis and eczema and inflammation. She needed an adjustable ring. So a few years ago when I was having trouble with my own inflammation in my joints of my hands and other parts of my body, and I couldn't get my wedding ring on and off easily, I began to wear my Grammy's ring more regularly. There are a lot of layers of grief in a family like ours, like many families, and those layers of grief are complex and ambiguous. Somehow wearing Grammy's ring helps me to continue to live compassionately with that grief, compassion for her and what her life dealt to her, and also the feelings of disappointment that I have that she must have had about what could not be. I also grieve the choices she made and the choices she avoided. She was born into a family system that has given us legacies of trauma and enormous needs for healing and grace. The ring doesn't do all the work. It takes therapy and writing and processing and facing some hard truths in our family history. But having this object and others from her life give me an opportunity to do the challenging work of healing, of grieving, the courageous work of facing the truth and the willingness to try and make stability that for her was nearly always elusive and aspirational. You see why many cultures prepare altars for the dead and they gather objects that help them with their grief and remembrance and healing, even from the intergenerational harms that they have experienced. So now I want you to turn your attention to the object that you found or the poem or the song and I want you to put it before you and think about how it helps you to cope with your own life of grief. That's a funny phrase, isn't it? A life of grief. But the longer we live and the more losses we experience, the closer we get to our own end. We come face to face with our mortality and we have more grief work to do. I hope you will write your story like I shared mine today, or tell it to someone who will listen patiently and with love, we can become frozen in our emotions and in our grief process. And we need to let that emotion out. It needs release. Sometimes we have to give ourselves permission to grieve, to cry, to laugh, to tell stories that are hard. I have a friend who told me once about losing his own dear friend. And after many months, he still could not cry or grieve the loss of that friend in any emotionally engaged way. And then someone played for him a particular piece of music and somehow the music opened up and the emotional pathways were free and he found the tears coming and he found some sense of relief because he was able to be emotionally present to his loss. And I'm not talking about closure here. Again, Pauline Boss is helpful because she says, closure is a myth. We don't ever come to a simple sense of closure with the losses in our lives. The grief may be less pronounced. It may be less immediate or in our faces. 
but we do still have to live with our grief alongside of it and in it. And grief is not something you just simply do and move on. So when you think about how to live creatively and meaningfully with your grief, integrating your losses into your life, I hope you will take time and give yourself permission to grieve today or this week. Make space for the emotion, for the tears, the laughter, the sadness, disappointment, all the ambivalent feelings of loss so that each one has its say. By writing them down or speaking them out loud to a trusted friend or partner or a pastor or counselor, you can make yourself an opportunity to integrate into your life the losses that you have experienced. And in so doing, you can become more present to yourself and more present to the people who are living with you through these days. Please, friends, this week, think about how you will give yourself permission to grieve.